two uh, beautiful songs uh, that give glory to God for the, the great God that he is. Uh, we know that within ourselves that we are nothing, that uh, there's nothing that we can do to, uh, to bring favor to ourselves in the sight of God. It's by grace through faith that he has saved us. It's not of ourselves. And we're so thankful that uh, God loves us this morning, that he cares for us that much. That's, that's the reason we're here this morning, because that God loves us. God drew us to himself. He even gave us a prayer of repentance so that we could uh, call out upon him. And I know, I don't know about your prayer, mine wasn't anything that great. Uh, the only thing that I could say was, Jesus saved me. And that was it. The moment I gave him my whole heart, he was found with me. And uh, I just praise him for that. Can't can't thank him enough for what that he has done for us. This morning you've uh, heard the scripture read. I don't really want to read that again. I know you don't want to hear me read it again. I've botched up enough already as it is. But we see what's taking place here. That uh, because of uh, uh, Jonathan's victory in the previous chapter uh, amongst the garrison, which was a smaller group of people that... Uh, the Israelites stunk in the nostrils of the Philistines, so they were out to get them, you know, uh, maybe make an example of them. And uh, we find a very sad situation here of a king that's in hiding, that he's in fear uh, of his life, and because of that, uh, being such a great example, the children of Israel uh, follow suit. They likewise start running to the rocks and the mountains the cisterns, the tombs, uh, to hide themselves from the Philistines. And it's kind of amazing because, uh, you know, God had given them such a great victory previously, and then they find themselves at this point. But we know that also that Saul kind of messed things up and uh, took it upon himself to offer the sacrifice instead of waiting upon the Lord, and that kind of messed things up too. But to... Get a picture of what's going on. We got to look back to the previous chapter. All the people of Israel, and, and it says in, in chapter 11 that there's over 300,000. I don't know the exact number, but we know there's over 300,000. Have fled to the rocks and the mountains for fear of the skilled and mighty Philistine warriors who came with 30,000. Uh, it says in chapter 8, verse 5, and, and 6,000 horsemen and troops like the sand of the seashore. Now Saul's army has even gotten smaller. Out of the 3,000 that he initially started with, there's only 600. So 2,400 of his, of his own men, mighty men of valor, have uh, fled as well. Then in verse 2, we see that Saul is in hiding in a cave. Its entrance is hidden by a large pomegranate tree. That's why that it is that it is called the pomegranate cave. Uh, and the meaning uh, of, of migron in this place means precipice. So not only was he, was he hiding in, uh, in a cave behind a big tree, but even behind a, uh, a large mountain. And he was in fear of his life. We read in uh, verse 1 and 2, it says, One day Jonathan the son of Saul said to the young man who carried his armor, Come, let us go over to the Philistine garrison on the other side. But he did not tell his father. 
Saul was staying in the outskirts of Gibeah in a pomegranate cave at Migron. The people who were with him were about 600 men. So we see Jonathan's proposal here. Jonathan's proposal wasn't, let's sit back, let's hide in a cave, let's do nothing. His proposal was, let's do something. <laughs> you know, we've got to do something. Uh, here the, the people of the Lord, God's chosen, are trembling, their knees are knocking, they're in hiding. Let's do something. They had recently won a great battle against the Ammonites. You remember a couple of Sundays back where the, uh, they were to you know, pluck out their, their right eye and all that and to be under submission to them. And the Ammonites actually wanted to wipe them completely out because they knew that they wouldn't do that. And God gave them a great victory. And now here they are against insurmountable odds as it would appear and they're in hiding. Saul was in hiding. Jonathan may have remembered the judges, something that probably promoted him to uh, get up and do something. He may have remembered the judges and their success by trusting in the Lord. We read about uh, men of faith uh, like Gideon and Barak in the 11th chapter of the book of Hebrews, 33 and 34. I won't read all of it, but we see Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and Samuel and the prophets. And it says, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Maybe Jonathan was thinking about Ehud, who with his men killed 10,000 of the Moabites, who said they were strong, able-bodied men. Or in Judges 3.31, we see a man by the name of Shamgar. It says, Shamgar, the son of Anath, who killed 600 of the Philistines with an ox goad. And he saved Israel. So Jonathan had faith in the Lord and what the Lord could do. The complete, exact opposite of his father, Saul, who was king, should have been the representative of God because they said, we want a king to go out and fight our battles for us. Well, he's in a cave and he's hiding. He's not doing a very good job of it. The men that we read about in the book of Judges, they weren't just men who were myths. They were real people as recorded in the Word of God. Furthermore, God had not changed. Some of you older people may remember that, that song how that, that uh, says that, that Jesus is just the same today. It goes like this. When Moses and the Israelites from Egypt's landed flee, behind them was proud Pharaoh's host, in front of them the sea. God raised the waters like a wall and opened up their way. And the God that reigned in Moses' time, he's just the same today. Amen. What does Hebrews 13, 8 say? Absolutely. The same yesterday, today, and forevermore. Jonathan knew that. He was trusting in his God. And it said, but he did not tell his father. Was Jonathan concerned his father would prevent his firstborn from carrying out this dangerous mission? Jonathan was the eldest of seven sons of the same mother. But Saul had two other sons as well. One of them by the name of Mephibosheth. You may remember him. But we really do not know the reason why that he didn't tell Saul. 
However, Jonathan will go out on his own with the help of his armor bearer, trusting God in initiating the beginnings of a great victory. Jonathan's actions remind me of the four lepers in Samaria in the time of famine when the Syrians laid siege against the Israelites. In 2 Kings 7, 3 and 4, it reads, Now there were four men who were lepers at the entrance to the gate. And they said to one another, Why are we sitting here until we die? If we say, Let us enter the city, the famine is in the city and we shall die there. And if we say, If we sit here, we die also. So now come, let us go over to the camp of the Syrians. If they spare our lives, we shall live and if they kill us, we shall but die. You know, at least they had more faith than what, what Saul had. You know, it doesn't matter whether we die in Jerusalem, we die where we're sitting, or if we go to the Syrians and die, let's do something. And Jonathan was willing to do something, but he wasn't going in his own power. It says the people who were with Saul were about 600 men. Verse 3, including Ahijah, the son of Ahantub, Ichabod's brother, son of Phinehas, son of Eli, the priest of the Lord in Shiloh, wearing an ephod. And the people did not know that Jonathan had gone. Jonathan did not f tell his father, and he didn't tell anyone else for that matter. One point of interest that we see in verse 3 would be this, of that of Ahijah, that he was Ichabod's nephew, who was the priest wearing the ephod. The name Ichabod, if you remember, uh, is mentioned in Scripture uh, how that the ark of the Lord was taken and the Philistines were winning the battle. And we see how that uh, Ichabod, when he heard of the news that the ark had been taken, he falls back, he breaks his neck, but his daughter-in-law was giving birth. She gave birth to a son and they named him Ichabod. What does Ichabod mean? Most of you know that. Without glory. Or the glory has departed. This is significant to the life of Saul who had the beginnings of being a great king as we've already learned. As we already have seen in the previous chapter how the, that his decline began. He took matters into his own hand. Verse 13, 14 of Samuel, 1 Samuel. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people, because you have not kept what the Lord had commanded you. Sad. His, his, his kingdom would end with him because he would take matters in his own hands. Verse 4, within the passes by which Jonathan sought to go over to the Philistine garrison were a rocky crag on the one side and a rocky crag on the other side. The name of one was Bozes, the name of the other was Sina. The one crag rose on the north in front of Michmash, the other on the south in front of Geba. Jonathan said to the young man who carried his armor, Come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or by few. And his armor bearer said, Do all that is in your heart. Do as you wish. Behold, I am with you, heart and soul. Here we see Jonathan's strategic plan. He had already surveyed the landscape, and he found just the right place to uh, place or set up his offensive attack. The two names explain the terrain, the two crags, Bozes, has a couple of different definitions. One of them means uh, slippery and muddy. The other means shining and glistening. 
the other uh, crag, Sina, means thorny, which was due to the thorn bushes that grew in the area at that time. It is said at certain times of the day, one side uh, would be glistening, but it was so large in the placement of the sun, it would shadow the other side. So one can get a vision of what actually went down here. However, we must not forget, regardless of the strategic location, regardless of the time of the day, regardless of the terrain, who won the battle that day? The Lord won the battle. The Lord was behind this, and he was the one that was working with Jonathan to accomplish this. Also, a note that uh, uh, a point of interest that I would like to bring out is about the armor bearer. He was a faithful companion. He was loyal and trustworthy. He was also very skilled in battle, and sometimes he was more skillful than that of his master. So here's Jonathan, and he's not going alone. He's taken someone with him, someone who is faithful, someone who will not leave his side. And regardless of how dark things look, and regardless of how uh, 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 difficult that it was to defeat this great army, Jonathan had someone with him. You know, today, you might be faced with trials. You might be going through difficult times. But we have someone, too, that comes up along beside us. And that's what the Greek word for Holy Spirit is, or uh, of, of that companion is, the comforter, is, is paraclete. And that means someone who go, comes up beside you and walks with you. We need not fear. We go through dark times in this life. Sometimes the enemy seems uh, greater than we can bear. And it, it's not just a physical person. You know, the scripture says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of darkness and spiritual wickedness in the high places. We wrestle against these things, but we have someone to come along beside of us, someone that is helping us. Uh, the scripture begins, Jonathan said to the young man who carried his armor, come up with me and go with me. So Jonathan had his trusted armor bearer. He was one whom Jonathan could trust. He was valiant and he was very loyal. He responded to his plan. I'm going to read this again. Do all that is in your heart. Do as you wish. Behold, I am with you, heart and soul. That kind of reminds me of something that Jonathan did. We'll see later on when he realized whom the Lord's anointed was, and it was David. Jonathan takes his armor off and he places it at David's feet and he bows down in reverence to him because he knew that he was the king. So his confidence was in the Lord. It was not in himself. It is seen in that same verse that his trust was in God's omnipotence. Jonathan said, come, let us go over to the Philistine garrison. But he did not go recklessly. He had a plan. Jonathan, Jonathan possibly remembered the verse in Leviticus 26, 8 where it says, five of you shall chase a hundred, and a hundred of you shall put 10,000 to flight. Your enemies shall fall by the sword before you. I'm sure there were many in Israel that probably had this same philosophy and, and believed what the word of God said, but they weren't in position to lead. You know, the, uh, Saul was in the position to lead. Saul should have been the one who would go out and, and, and might trusting in the Lord and and win a great victory that day. It says, Then Jonathan said, Behold, we will cross over to the men, and we will show ourselves to them. And if they say to us, Wait until we come to you, then we shall stand still in our place, and we will not go up. But if they say to us, Come up, then we will go up, for the Lord has given them into our hand, and this shall be a sign to us. 
Jonathan had little faith in himself, but he had great faith in God. It wasn't that I can win the victory with God's help. It was that God can win the victory by using a person even such as me. This was not the same as Gideon setting out the fleece as we read in Judges chapter 6. Gideon had confirmed the word of God to guide him, but he doubted God's word. But Jonathan did not doubt a word from God. He doubted his own heart and mind. In verse 11 it says, So both of them showed themselves to the garrison of the Philistines. And the Philistines said, Look, Hebrews are coming out of their holes where they have hidden themselves. And the men of the garrison held Jonathan and his armor bearer and said, Come up to us and we will show you a thing. And Jonathan said to his armor bearer, Come up after me. For the Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. Notice, he didn't say himself. He said, into the hand of Israel. He wasn't like Saul who would want to take the credit for himself. He knew that, hey, we're in this together. If I win a victory, victory it's not me. It's God is doing it, and he's going to use all of us. Then Jonathan climbed up on his hands and feet and his armor bearer after him, and they fell before Jonathan, and his armor bearer killed them after him. And that first strike was Jonathan and his armor bearer made, killed about 20 men within, as it were, half a furrow's length in an acre of land. Jonathan and his armor bearer revealed themselves to the Philistines. They ridiculed them with demeaning words. They, they, they chastised them. They, they, they said evil things against them. Then they invited them to come up to play. At that time, Jonathan knew that God had delivered the Philistines into their hands. However, his victory was much larger in scope. As I said, it wasn't just Jonathan who could claim the victory here, but it was going to be all of Israel. He saw complete victory through the Israelites' opponents that day. Jonathan's plan worked. Twenty men were slain in just a short amount of time and his, uh, between him and his armor bearer as they worked together. And if you have ever read, I think it's interesting as he goes out and he surveys the land and he sees this strategic point where that there's, there's uh, thorn bushes on one side, there's glistening on the other side. And, you know, you can see as he climbed up on his hands and feet and he, as he went and he won this strategic battle with the help of the Lord. And this made me think, you know, because I've, I'm, I'm a, a kind of a history buff, but not really a great historian, but a kind of a history buff. Uh, to say, and if you've ever read about strategic battles, you might remember uh, the Battle of Thermopylae, which was 480 B.C. It actually takes place between the first and second uh, chapter of the book of Esther, between the Greeks and the Persians, and it's known for two things, an utter Greek defeat leading to the Persian destruction of Athens, and arguably the most famous stand in history, the 300 Spartan soldiers holding off approximately 300,000 of the Persian army. Some historians say that there was a million that they went down to the water to drink. All of them did, and they consumed the whole river when they drank. I kind of think that's a little far-fetched. More conservative numbers, 300,000. But of that Persian army, uh, until they were flanked, so the Spartans go in, and they're in this one spot, and they defeat 300,000 of the Persian army until they're flanked due to the betrayal of one of Phaeltes. But you see how that a small group of men can overcome a great uh, group of people in a strategic location. 
However, this was not the battle of the Persians or the Spartans or the Greeks or Xerxes, but this was, this was God's battle. This was God's victory, and all glory goes to God. Here in the text, we see that greater odds were stacked against one man and his armor bearer. To God be the glory. A great victory was won. Israel and Jonathan were saved. And not only that, but we read on. And there was panic in the camp, in the field, and among all the people, and the garrison, and even the raiders trembled, and the earth quaked, and it became a very great panic. So you see in this verse that God is the one who attacks the Philistines. There was trembling in the camp, and in the field, and among the people. And it seems like the Philistines were under a divine confusion. And they woke up this morning thinking, we are attacked. The enemy is in our midst. They rushed about thinking their fellow Philistines might be the enemy and began to fight and to kill one another. This is very interesting because I have seen this before. <laughs> and you probably have too, Larry. Uh, I, had, I used to raise goats. <laughs> That's a bad idea. But anyway, I had two big great Pyrenees. And I had a, a fence around three-quarter three acre. It was actually a 75-mile fence around three-quarters of an acre. It was four jewels. And if you got within four inches of that thing you were and you were grounded good, it would reach out and touch you. And, I mean, it was, it was rough. Well, these two dogs came down, and I was uh, feeding them, and, and they both came down to eat. One of them got too close to the fence, and he got shocked. Instead of attacking the fence, he looked at his brother, and, man, he wailed on him. And there was a huge dog fight that day and the interesting thing about this is it's a phenomenon called displaced aggression it's also referred to redirected aggression it occurs when an animal or human is fearful or agitated by external stimuli a provocation or a perception but is unable or unwilling to direct the aggression toward the stimulus the aggressor may direct aggression towards whoever is nearest God used that that day to defeat the Philistines. And it says, on in, in, in verse 16, it says, And the watchman of Saul in Geba of Benjamin looked, and behold, the multitude was dispersing here and there. Then Saul said to the people who were with him, Count and see who has gone from us. And when they had counted, behold, Jonathan and his armor bearer were not there. So Saul said to Ahijah, Bring the ark of God here. For the ark of God went at that time with the people of Israel. Now while Saul was talking to the priests, the tumult in the camp of the Philistines increased more and more. So Saul said to the priests, withdraw your hand. Then Saul and all the people who were with him rallied and went into battle. And behold, every Philistine's sword was against his fellow, and there was a great confusion. Now the Hebrews who had been with the Philistines before that time and who had gone up with them into the camp, even they also turned to be with the Israelites who were with Saul and Jonathan. Likewise, when all the men of Israel who had hidden themselves in the hill country of Ephraim heard that the Philistines were fleeing, they too followed hard after them in battle. So the Lord, the Lord saved Israel that day, and the battle passed beyond Beth Haven. Pretty interesting as you see what's going on here. Uh, as you know, there, like I said earlier, there's over 300,000 of the Israelites who were dispersed into several different places. Wherever they could hide, that's where they went. But when this uh, great confusion began, all and the Philistines started battling against one another, they were in fear from their for their lives. The people that had fled, those 300,000 that had fled, they joined against 
the 30,000 or ever how many that was there. And then those who had defected out of fear and moved on over to the, uh, to the Philistine camp, they also turned against them. But the most important thing is, is that the Lord saved Israel that day. Two things are done by Saul when he realizes the battle lines are confused and they saw the multitude melting away. As the watchman of Israel kept an eye on the huge army of the Philistines, the army began to dissipate. Saul says, number one, call the roll. Why? This was a useless act. Saul should have gone and fought against the Philistines at this very strategic moment instead of standing around. Instead, he probably worried about uh, who was leading the battle and were they going to get the credit instead of him. Number two, he said, Bring the ark. This was a useless act at all. also. He tells the, 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 uh, the priest, he says, withdraw your hand. You know, uh, quit praying. And he says, bring the ark. The Philistines had been given to the Israelites already. Jonathan and his armor bearer had acted on faith, and God was delivering them at that time. Finally, Saul got it. And as the noise of confusion increased, he told the priest to withdraw your hand. This meant that they would stop praying, as I said, and now it was time for Saul to go to work. Not only did Saul get it, but the people who also had surrendered to the Philistines, they got it also, as well as those who were in hiding. So Saul is probably trying to look spiritual here, but there was nothing to seek God about. There was a time to go aside and pray, but this was not the time, because that had already been done, and God was delivering and it was stand still and see the salvation of the Lord because that's what happened at this time. In closing, I'll say that sometimes we go through dark places. Sometimes we get afraid and we fear because the enemy is beating against us. Maybe you're being accused of something falsely. Uh, maybe someone is jealous of you and, and they're, they're out to hurt you. No matter what it is, sometimes we go through dark places. First thing I would say to do is pick up God's Word. Read God's Word. The Psalms is a very good place to start. Read about how God defeated men in the Old Testament, just as Jonathan, as I said, probably looked back at the judges and saw how that God worked and how that God had moved. And then when we pray and we give it into the hands of God, just like Jonathan and his armor bearer, we can see God move. We can stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. If you're here this morning and you have no one to turn to, we want to let you know that Jesus is Lord, that He is here, that He's ready to receive you. It's my prayer today that uh, as He knocks on your heart's door and draws you to Himself, that you will act upon that, that you will come to Him and find that His salvation is sweet. Salvation is nothing but deliverance. God delivered Jonathan. God delivers us from the bonds of sin and shame. And he sets us up to dwell in heavenly places, to be with others that, that are like-minded, that have the same heart, that want to worship and, and praise God. Those who are regenerated, not regurgitated, <laughs> and stand still and see the salvation of the Lord as they sing.